please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. As you turn there, we uh, read about the birth of Jesus Christ, and we're going to be focusing on verse 18 this Sunday and uh, next, and we'll be looking at some of the other verses on Christmas Eve, Lord willing. But uh, if you would, please stand with me as we read verses 18 through the end of the chapter, through verse 25. Again, we'll be focusing a lot on verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she'd given birth to a son. They called his name Jesus. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we would ask for your uh, ability to know you more deeply as a result of our time together. We thank you for the gift of your son Jesus. We thank you for the work of the Spirit in the life of our church. And we pray that we would continue to see his, his work manifested in our lives as we worship you. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. This is going to be my second Christmas uh, without my dad. Uh, He passed away December 26th, two years ago. And so uh, this is going to be the second Christmas without my dad. And obviously there's a lot of things I'm I'm thinking about as I think about missing dad. I've been thinking a lot about Christmas, uh, Christmas past, different trips we'd take. You know, we took some trips to Arkansas several times. There was the, the Christmas that we, uh, we kind of stayed home because two of my siblings had lice, and that was a, a fun Christmas. Actually, it really was. It was, there, it was fun to watch what my siblings had to go through, and it was just fun to, you know, it was fun to be home. We had a great time. So just thinking about, just thinking about my dad. And, and maybe this is true for those of you who have lost people you love and you're thinking about them at Christmas. Maybe this is true for you too. For me, it's it's interesting. My my relationship with my dad, it I thought once he passed away, it would be just kind of like frozen in time. But what's been interesting to me is that as as time has passed, it feels like my relationship with my dad continues in some ways. I mean, not that we're still in, I'm not talking to my dad, and there's no relationship there in that sense. But just I continue to think about him, and I continue to understand him, and 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 have some insight into him in, in new ways or think about things in new ways. So I might talk to my siblings, and I have three younger siblings. Two of them are a good amount younger, and so they, they knew Dad in a different way than I did. And so talking with them, I, I, have, I feel like I have new insight into who my dad was and, and some aspects of his character. Or just as I get older, I, I feel like I understand him more and some of the things that he thought and believed and I, I was looking at some pictures of our, our wedding this week, Whitney and, I, Whitney and my wedding, and 
my dad at the time of our wedding talked about how young looking he was. And, and I didn't believe him, but I looked at some pictures this week, and, and he is a young looking man now in those, those photos. Uh, I, he looks a very similar in age to me now, just a young looking, good looking guy. You know, it's, uh, you know, I feel like I understand him a little bit more, some of the things he was thinking about in his, in his 40s. You know? So you, you, you feel like you, the relationship, it, it, it's interesting. But my father's parenting of me is not eternal. It had a, a definite beginning, and in terms of his earthly parenting of me, it had a, a definite end. There was a, a fixed amount of time that he was my, my earthly father. This morning, I, I want us to, to talk about an eternal father. I want to talk about a father who has always been a father and who will always be a father. I want to talk about God the Father this week and next, and I want us to meditate, to, to think about some truths about who God is. And what we're going to do this week and next is we're going to talk about eight statements, kind of just eight statements about who God the Father is, or eight statements to help us understand who God the Father is. And the, the first two statements are going to be just kind of some some statements that help us get our, our theological foundations. They're just kind of two statements about who God is, and these, and especially God is a triune God. These are just two statements that are designed to help us not engage in heresy. Um, just two statements to help us get our bearings and, and lay some foundations about who God the Father is in relation to being a, a triune God, the, the Trinity. And then the third statement is kind of a, a transitional statement, some, a, a transitional statement that kind of helps us begin to apply some truths about who God the Father is. And then the last five statements, remember I got, I got two weeks to do this, so don't get stressed. Uh, the last five statements are going to be just statements about who God the Father is, especially in relationship to His Son. And these, these five statements, we're going to talk about how they apply to you and to me as we think about who our Heavenly Father is. In fact, the goal what, what I want to accomplish, kind of the main idea of, of this week and next, is, is this. I want, us to, I want us to meditate on the eternal relationship between God the Father and God the Son. And as we meditate on that relationship between God the Father and, and God the Son, this eternal relationship, my desire would be that we'd be encouraged as we realize that all of our needs are met by our Heavenly Father are met in Him. So I want us to, to meditate, to think upon this relationship between God the Father and God the Son that we, we emphasize here at Christmas. And as we meditate on that relationship between God the Father and God the Son, I want us to, to realize that all of our needs are met in our eternal Father. So let's, let's dive in. Here's, here's the first statement. Number one, the Father is not the Son. As we look here at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, a, a couple things kind of are noteworthy. One, as, as we see here in Matthew 1, 18, it, it tells us that this is the account of the birth of Jesus Christ, but we know that the birth of Jesus Christ doesn't mean the beginning of Jesus Christ. It's not talking about this is the beginning of His existence. We also, as we think about verse 18 here, we realize that the details here are, are few. Matthew doesn't go into a lot of details, but it's clear that Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus. Jesus has a divine origin. 
So this first statement, the, the father is not the son, we're, we're pointing out here that in verse 18, there's a clear distinction between persons. There's a father and, and there's a son. We also see the Holy Spirit. In fact, you could also in this statement, we're, we're focusing on the relationship between the father and the son, but you could also say that the son is not the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is not the father. You're, you're talking about three distinct persons. That's the, the first kind of foundational truth that I want us to think about, the first foundational statement to get our bearings right about who the Trinity is. The, the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't the Father. We're talking about three persons in one divine being. And the church, true Christians, ha- have always affirmed this with, with varying levels of understanding, of, of course. Very early on in church history, there was a, a teacher named Sibelius, and Sibelius began to, to teach something we call uh, modalism. It's the idea that God is one person in different modes. So, for example, in the Old Testament, uh, God expressed himself as, as the Old Testament God, and then in the New Testament, he expressed himself as, as Jesus. So, he wasn't a different person. He was just expressing himself in a different way, and then in, uh, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is the, the new manifestation of God, the new mode of his being. So not three persons, just one person who kind of expresses himself in different ways depending upon the context. And the early church fathers, especially Tertullian, said, no, 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 this, this, that is not biblical. The church rejected that. said, okay, we don't know exactly how to articulate the truths of this triune God, but that's not it. You say, well, Daniel, that's a very interesting thing to say. How, how does that have any relevance to us? How, how is it relevant to, to think? Why is that an important truth? Why does it matter? Well, it, it matters a great deal. It, it affects our understanding of, of the gospel. It affects the, the very nature of the gospel. For you and I to enter in a relationship with, with God, we're not just entering into a relationship with, with a God or, or some God. We are entering into a relationship with the God of, of Scripture and it's important that we know who this God is and, and rightly understand that. Maybe you've had this experience before where you're, you're talking with someone, and this, is, this happened just recently to me. You're talking with someone, and you, you talk about your, your common friend, Chris. You know Chris? Oh, yeah, Chris is a great guy. And then as you, you start describing Chris, you realize that you have two really different people in mind. You are not talking about the same Chris. You're talking about tall Chris and I'm talking about short Chris, and they are two, to- I mean, if you knew Chris, I mean, Mike, two totally different guys, right? Now, as we talk about God, we want to make sure we're talking about the, the same being. There's a, a movement within Christendom called, the, within the world, called the, the kind of the ecumenical movement. It's this idea that, that people from different faiths are all kind of saying the same thing. We should seek unity as we try to, to get along together. And of course, it's a good thing to get along with people from different faiths. It's good to partner with people of different faiths in, in a political sense and, or in terms of trying to accomplish some sort of social end. All those can be good things, but in terms of are we worshiping the same God, this, this ecumenical movement can be a very, very dangerous thing. You probably don't hear about it as much uh, as, as maybe 15 or 20 years ago, sadly, because the ecumenical movement kind of won in a lot of church denominations and a lot of church movements. You, you think about a lot of the, the big uh, mega church movement that kind of came into its, its fruition in the 90s, especially, in, and uh, 
how can you have sometimes so many people from so many different church backgrounds worshiping together? Well, because God is a very vague God that is being described there. Not, not being very specific about who we mean when we say the word God. But here's the point. Here's the, and that's especially true at Christmas, right? It was a, the Christmas card God, very vague God that we're all talking about. That's not a right understanding of who God is. It's not a right understanding of who God is. Matthew 1.18 is clear. The God we worship is a God who is God the Father, who sent God the Son to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for our sins as penalty for our sins, rose from the dead, and it's, it's, it's in that person that we place our faith through the work of God the Holy Spirit. And if if that's not the God that you're worshiping, we're not worshiping the same God. So it's very important that we get that understanding right as we begin to talk about God. And Christmas time is a time when that message could get really muddled. So the Father is not the Son. They're, they're distinct persons. We worship a three-person, one being, God, triune God. Now here's, here's a second statement that I want us to meditate on together. The Father and the Son are both fully God. That's the, the second statement to consider this morning. Now, you could also say, of course, the Holy Spirit is also fully God, but I'm, I'm focusing on this relationship between the Father and the Son this week and next as we look at Matthew 1.18 especially. What are we saying here? We're saying that the Father is not greater than the Son in terms of, of His deity. It's not like God is super God and God the Son is like semi-God. God, the Holy Spirit, is even less than that. That's not what we're saying. We're saying Father, Son, Holy Spirit are all fully God. I mentioned Sibelius. It wasn't too much longer in church history where you had another teacher come along, and this guy's name was Arius. And, and Arius, he began to teach that God the Father created God the Son and, and made him God. So you had, you had creation here, the creation of the universe and the world here. And before, sometime before creation, God the Father created God the Son. And th this teaching kind of began, some people began to ad adopt this teaching. They didn't fully understand, I think, what they were saying. And the, there was a council that gathered together in Nicaea in 325, and, and people began to, to, to talk together about what exactly it was that this guy Arius was teaching. And his teaching, some people were really excited about it. They didn't understand exactly what he was saying. Some people were excited because they said, well, maybe this guy has a, a helpful way for us to articulate the things that we believe because, you know, if, it's, if you think it's hard now to <laughs> rightly understand the Trinity, it was also very hard in 325 AD. So they, they come and they're listening to Arius teach. And now the legend, I don't think this is true, but the legend is that St. That Nicholas was at this council. And uh, St. Nicholas, of course, being the person uh, that we base St. Nick or Santa Claus on. And it's said that St. Nicholas was at this council and heard Arius teaching this idea that God the Father created God the Son. And, and Santa Claus, St. Nick, was so mad that he punched Arius in the nose. Now, it's kind of funny but, and you know, appropriate for Christmas, but I don't think that's necessarily what happened. What did happen is this. Er, uh, this, this teaching begins to be read. They're trying to explain to the different bishops who are there, hey, here's what we're teaching. And again, some of the audience is like, well, maybe this will be a helpful way for us to, to distinguish the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But as they begin to read what they believed, they said, okay, at some point in time, God the Father created God the Son. As soon as they said that, 
the bishops covered their hands with their ears. They stomped their feet. A near riot broke out. Someone took the paper that the guy was reading, threw it on the ground, stomped on it. They said, no, 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 no. The, the, the son is, is fully God. He's, he's begotten, not made. The, the, he's, he's not something that God the Father created. He's fully God and eternal in and of himself. The Father and the Son are both fully God. Matthew 1.18 is not describing the beginning of Jesus' existence. Christmas is not the beginning of Jesus' existence. Jesus has always been God the Son. Okay, here's the third statement that I want us to think about. Kind of serve as a transition. Focusing on God the Father, as we look at Matthew 1.18 and beyond, and, and here's, here's the statement I want you to think about with me. The Father, God the Father, is eternally and necessarily the Father. And you say, well, what, what exactly does that mean? God the Father has always been God the Father. It wasn't like he had three persons in eternity past, and they, and they kind of flipped a coin and said, okay, what do you want to do, and what do you want to do, and they drew straws or whatever. God the Father has always been God the Father. And, and what's more, it's, it's necessary, and we'll talk about what I mean by that. It's necessary that he is the Father. Here's how the Nicene Creed put it. Remember that, that event in 325 A.D.? Here's how, they, here's how they described Jesus. They said, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten. So the, the, Father, is, the Father is the one who begets, and the Son is the one who is begotten. It goes on. Uh, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, that is the essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. God the Father is unbegotten. God the Son is begotten from the Father. God the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and Son. And there, there's a doctrine called the eternal generation of the Son. And it's, it's a fancy way of, of saying that, that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God forever. On, on Wednesday, Whitney asked me how a sermon prep was going. She goes, how's, how's the sermon prep? Like I said, it is going terrible. I've, I've spent about eight hours on two sentences. And one of the sentences is wrong. I'm just not sure which one. Right? I mean, that, that's, that's the, the difficulty we run into as we start to talk about the triune God. But, but here's, here's what I want you to grasp with me here. And I, I hope I'm articulating this in a helpful way. Basically, what we're saying here is, is uh, theologian John Frame puts it, we're saying that God the Father, God the Father, is, is the origin of the father-son relationship within the, the Trinity. He, he's the origin of it. He's, he's the, the foundation of it. We're not saying he's the, he's the source of Jesus' divinity. Jesus is fully God in and of himself. But we're saying God the Father is, is the, the origin of this, of this father-son relationship. The Son is the Son because the Father is the Father. You say, well, what? Are you saying the Father creates the Son? No. Are you saying this happens at some point in time? Like when we think of begotten, we think about a, 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 a parent begetting a, ch a child and that happens at some point in time. We're saying, no, 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 it didn't happen at some point in time. This has always been the case. It's not that the Son is less than the Father. What we're saying is that in this relationship, this eternal relationship between God the Father and God the Son, that this relationship, is, is, its origin is in the Father, in terms of personhood, not in terms of divinity. Here's how Jesus puts it. 
Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. He's, he's dependent upon the Father and his personhood. John 6, 5, sorry, John 6, 57, Jesus says, as the living Father sent me, and I, I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. We also see, then, that as we behold Jesus, we're beholding truths about God the Father as well, truths about the divine being. John 1.14, John writes, the Word became flesh and, and dwelt among us. We've seen His glory. Glory is to the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18 of John 1, no one has ever seen the Father the only God who's at the Father's side, he's made him known. So no one's ever seen the Father, but the only God, who Jesus is part of the only God, he's made him known. And the amazing thing is that this this relationship has always been this way. And now Jesus says in John 17, 5, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. So, The Father, excuse me, the Son needs the Father to to, to be the Son. This relationship in ways I don't understand. Can you go deeper? Nope. I'm, I'm, I'm in the deep end already, okay? Trying to be careful here. Don't want to go beyond what we see in Scripture. What I'm, what I'm trying to convey here is that the, the words Father and Son aren't just arbitrary words that Scripture uses. It's not just a metaphor. No, it's kind of like a father-son. No, there, there's something true about God the Father's character that makes him God the Father. Something true about God the Son that makes him God the Son. We'll talk more about this next week. What I want you to see is, is this. As we meditate upon this, this truth that God, is the fa- God the Father is God the Father, as we meditate on this truth and what it means to you over the next week, there's, there's a potential danger. Some of you may not have had a great relationship with your dad. Maybe you have no relationship with your father. Maybe some of you have a great relationship with your dad, but there's certain characteristics of who your dad is that really shape what you think a father is. So maybe some of you had a bad relationship with a father, and you hear, okay, God is God the Father, and you think, okay, well, that means that this, this being is a stern, he's a disciplinarian, he is uh, unloving, he's, he's not very interested in, in life, or it's very hard for you to unpack what it means to be a father based upon your understanding of your earthly father. Or maybe you think, okay, a father's kind of a jovial guy and, and kind of a kidder and makes dad jokes or whatever. I mean, the, there's some sort, of pers- some sort of baggage we all bring to the idea of Father that we sometimes put upon God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, first in terms of logical order, not in terms of, of, of importance or, or a hierarchical way. What I want you to think about is our tendency is to do this exactly the opposite way. We should not take our ideas of human fatherhood and project them onto our divine Father. Rather, our divine Father must be the source from which we obtain our understanding of what a true Father is. And that, that's true even for those of us who've had great fathers. Our understanding of, a, of what a father is is based upon who God the Father, the perfect Father is, the true Father. 
Now, with that in mind, there's, there's two, two parts of the statement I want us to think about. First of all, that the Father is eternally the Father. What does that mean, that he's eternally the Father? John, 1 John, chapter 1, John writes, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've, we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father. In other words, before Jesus Christ came, he was with the Father. The Father is eternally the Father. God the Father was God the Father in eternity past. He will continue to be God the Father into eternity future. God the Father has always been the Father, and that means God the Son has always been God the Son. God, did, God the Father didn't adopt the Son at some point in time and say, okay, now you're my Son. He didn't create the Son. The Father's always been the Father. Matthew 1.18, as the story of Christmas is is whenever the, the Father, excuse me, when the Son was made manifest to us in 1 John. I, I love being a dad, honestly. I, I, I love being a dad. It's great. Fantastic. My kids agree, I'm sure, right? But I, I got to be honest, um, Sometimes I get tired. <laughs> Not tired in the sense I don't want to be a dad, but just like tired of dadhood. I don't know, just like I'm, I'm tired as a dad. I, I've talked to young parents, and, and young parents are also weary, but sometimes young parents say this to me. They say, oh, I just love my children so much. I can't imagine them ever leaving the home. And I'm like, yeah, I can. <laughs> that's, that's in our future. I'm good with that. You know, I'm tired. <laughs> now, Whitney has a plan. Whitney's plan is to, to buy several houses uh, in our neighborhood and have the kids live in those uh, and, and pay us back. Um, I think that's a great plan, you know, fantastic. But, but I want them to grow and I want them to, I want them to experience the joys of, of, of life on their own. And, um, you know, I, 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 as a parent, you take on the weight of your children as they get older the decisions that they're making are, are bigger, and you just feel this weight of, of responsibility, and it's, it's rough. It's, it's tough. <laughs> I get tired. God the Father never gets tired. He's been a father from eternity past. He'll be a, a father into eternity future. He, he never wearies. He never gets, gets, gets uh, in a, a need for, for rest or for uh, stepping away from being a father. He never tires. And secondly, that's a beautiful thing to think about. We'll talk about it in just a moment. And, and secondly, he, he must be the father. It's necessary for him, for him to be the father. You say, well, what exactly does that mean? Now, I want you to think about what it means to be God, this being God. Three persons, one being God. What this means is that you can never remove a part of God and still have God. He's irreducible. One theologian, uh, Robert Leatham, puts it this way. From eternity, he's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one indivisible being, three irreducible persons. You take away any aspect of God, and he's no longer God. You cannot have this being God without God the Father. You have a being that is God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. You don't have the true God anymore. 
And so from eternity past, he's always been Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and it has to be that way. That's why Jesus doesn't have a beginning, because you have Father, Holy Spirit, you don't have the triune God, you don't have the true God. From eternity past, eternity future, always God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, which means God must have always been God the Father as well. As one theologian, Herman Bavink, put it, God's ability to be life-generating, the Father's ability to be life-generating, begetting, is a beautiful, beautiful theme. He, he, he's always life-generating. It's his, his nature to be generative and fruitful, to be, to be supplying all, all that we need for, for life and godliness. That's who God the Father is. You can never stop being that or he would cease to be God. You can't have a moment when the Father was ever not the Father. Now, what does that mean? You have a heavenly Father. God the Father and God the Son have eternally been Father, Son. And now, what has happened? You have entered into that relationship through your faith in in Jesus Christ. You're united with Christ. And now God is your heavenly father. For him to cease to be your heavenly father would mean for him to cease being God, which he cannot do. Do you feel kind of secure in his love and in his provision? I, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm a, a, a dad who loves his children, but I cannot provide all that my children need from me. I can't do it. I can, I can want to do it all, all that I, I could, but it, it doesn't help them. I can't meet their needs. Now, here we have this, this being, God, who's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and in the person of God the Father, we are, we are united into this eternal relationship with Him now as our eternal Father, and He cannot help, He cannot help but provide us with everything that a father would provide to his child that his child needs. There is nothing you need that God will not provide because he must. James, James chapter 1, we read that every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. He is the Father who gives good things, and he does not change because he cannot change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The next five statements that we'll begin looking at next week, we're going to stop there for for this morning. The next five statements that we're going to look at are all statements that describe this relationship between the Father and the Son, what the Father does for the Son, and how you and I benefit from being brought into that relationship by faith. I don't know what you're going through this Christmas. I don't know what heartaches. I don't know what what joys. But whatever heartache you're going through, your Heavenly Father is is, is a part of that. He's sufficient in that. And and struggles with the the, 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 just the mental and emotional struggles of, of what we have gone through over the past year and what that's done to us as, as, a, as a people and our, our souls and our personality. God is sufficient in that. He is the Father who must be sufficient in that. 
Whatever joys you've had, whatever, whatever happy things that have, that have happened, all those things also find their source in God the Father. May we, as we look at this eternal relationship between God the Father and God the Son that's revealed in a special way at Christmas, it would be encouraged that all we need is found in the Father. Let's, let's pray. Father, we do turn to you, and we turn to you alone through faith in your Son, Jesus, that you would meet every need that we have. We confess all our, our sorrows, our struggles are, are, are um, going to be met in you. Uh, you. You cannot do any less than bring us through every trial and, and storm and, and trouble because of who you are, because of who we are through the work of your Spirit, allowing us to trust in your Son, bringing us to faith in your Son, and, and uniting us with him. And so as we are in your Son, we know we are your children and we know that you will do all that is necessary uh, to provide for us. And we know that this week as we contemplate various joyous things, we know that all those joys ultimately find their source in you also as our Heavenly Father. And we praise you and re rejoice in you. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen.